Hey, and thanks for tuning in. At Northgate, we're passionate about helping people become who God purposed them to be. We hope that this message encourages and blesses you today. Stay tuned after for more ways to connect. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Northgate, especially if you're new here. It's great to have you with us. My name is Jeff Gustafson. I'm one of the pastors. Today, we are starting this new series called Overflow. It's based on Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is a lot of people's favorite psalm. It, it's often read at funerals. I've read it at a lot of different funerals. And uh, if you ever hear Psalm 23 in the movies, that's probably what's going on. There's probably a funeral. Somebody died or somebody's going to be executed, and they bring Psalm 23 in as kind of the extra emotion to signify what's about to happen. But the reason that it's used at funerals is because it provides comfort and hope and peace. It's a beautiful psalm for that. But that's not why we're talking about it. See, I don't think that Psalm 23 is supposed to be a psalm for the dead, I think it's a psalm for the living. It's a psalm for us. See, over the next several weeks, what we're going to find is what this psalm is all about. And in short, here's what I think it is. I think that Psalm 23, this beautiful poem, really a song, is filled with metaphors that describe what life with God is like. Over and over again, you see these little illustrations. The Lord is my shepherd. A little picture of what life with God is like. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's a little picture of what life with God is like. Men, in the, uh, towards the end of the psalm, it says, it gives this picture. My cup overflows. It's a picture of what life with God is like. When David talks about this, I, I should say, I think, uh, I think one of the reasons that it's important to talk about this is because we don't always have good pictures of what life with God is like. As a church, one of the things we want to do is we want to help people build a relationship with Jesus. We, we want you to be able to put your trust in Jesus and follow him and let him teach you and guide you. But if you don't know what he's like, then why would you do that? So we need to get a better understanding of that. And so David says, he puts it like this, my cup overflows. Life with God is like an overflow. A lot of times, uh, our life is like this. It's like a cup. And we're constantly trying to figure out stuff to put in it. We feel empty sometimes. And so we look for the good stuff. What can we put in our cup? And we find a little bit of stuff you know, families, relationships, um, I don't know, whatever we can find to fill ourselves up. Sometimes it's food, right? Ever feel empty and then you just try to fill yourself up? And we do that. We try to fill ourselves up with the, the best things that we can find and hope that it takes care of that. But David gives a different picture of life with God. Not one that's empty where we're just trying to, get fill, trying to get something inside of us to fill ourselves up. He gives a totally different picture. A cup that's not partially full. He gives the picture of a cup 
that's not even all the way filled up. He gives the picture of a cup that gets filled up to the top and more. I think I'm going to need this. His picture is, is this life that is overflowing. Not just a little bit, but a lot. David wants us to see how good life with God truly is. And so that's what this is about. This message series, I want you to get pictures of what life with God is, how good it really is. That life with God is a life that overflows. I knew I would need one of these. Oh, just for fun. (laughs) Somebody needs to eat this, because it's just going (laughs) to... Peyton, here's some spoons, okay? You'll, there's probably more than enough to share, okay? You just, you just take care of that. Hey, while he does that, let's pray. Father, I pray, I pray that you would give us pictures just all through this message about how good life with you is. Literally, so we can taste and see how good you are, so that we can follow you. God, I pray, for, I pray for images and pictures that you stir up, even inside of us, but beyond my words, that we could see how good life with you is. And I ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. So, over the next couple weeks, that's what we're going to talk about. How good life with God is, and what that looks like. So, this week, we're going to talk about uh, life with God is life without lack. The overflowing life is life without lack. Next week, we'll talk about how life with God is life with leadership and how that's good and how we really need that. And the week after that, we'll talk about life without fear and why that's so important. And the last week, we'll talk about life with hope and how that changes everything when we walk with God. Tonight, as we talk about life without lack, we're going to look at the first three verses of Psalm 23. And in these uh, verses, I think that David, he's the author of this psalm. He, he was the greatest king in the history of Israel. And he was also a songwriter. He would have been like the, one of the, a hit songwriter in his day. He wrote tons of the psalms. And then uh, he was also a shepherd. And so uh, you can see where this imagery is coming from. But as David wrote this psalm... Um, I think he gives us a couple different pictures in these three verses. Uh, What is life with God like? What does the overflowing life look like? And I want to talk about two things. I'll just give them to you both right here, and then we'll dig a little bit deeper. But first of all, it looks like this. He will provide. And second, he will restore. That's what life with God looks like. He will provide, and he will restore. As I... As I go to this psalm, I just want to tell you that um, 
I'm going to be using an older translation of this, the 1984 version of the NIV. It's, usually we use a newer version than that, but that's the version that I memorized, and so that's the version that's in my head, and so if I try to use the new one, it's just going to trip me up right and left in this series, so we'll stick with the old one. Uh, if you want to memorize it, and actually I want to encourage all of you to memorize this psalm. It's only six verses long. It's really simple, but it's so powerful because it gives you this picture of what life with God is like. And so when you get it in your mind, when you get it in your heart, you carry that around with you knowing how good he is. So uh, that's my challenge to you as we do this. But uh, you might want to do the, new, <laughs> the newer version. And it's a really good version. It's just not the one that I have. So here, here we go. Here's what David says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. If you memorize that in the King James Version, it would have been, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It almost makes it sound like if you are a follower of Jesus, that all of a sudden, all your desires just simply disappear. And all of a sudden, you don't want anything ever again, that that just goes away. So, you know, somebody says, hey, do you want to come with me on a vacation? You go, no, I'm good. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. <laughs> somebody offers you a new car. Nope, I don't. My Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You're walking through the desert. Somebody gives you a drink of water. Nope, I'm good. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's not it. And so the version that I read to you is a little bit different. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. And that's kind of the idea of these verses, that uh, you're not, if if the Lord is your shepherd, you're not going to go without, right? The the newer NIV translation is probably even better. It it says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And that's what life with God is. It's life without lack. I think one of the most common fears and one of the, our most fundamental fears is the fear of not having enough. It's not like the fear of spiders or something where like, you're really aware of it in that moment. Um, that happened to me this week. I was mowing my mom's lawn and I saw a spider jump out, drop out of a tree right in front of me as I was driving. And I was like, ah! I mean, and you, you're, in that moment, you're aware of that fear. The, the, the fear of not having enough isn't like that. Sometimes we don't even notice it. We're not aware of it, but it still affects our behavior. It affects how we live. The, the fear of not having enough is the thing that causes us to kind of scrape and claw and try to, try to make sure we work hard enough so that we can get enough, so we can try to fill up our cup. It's also the fear that sometimes makes us stingy because we're afraid, hey, I might not have enough. We want to keep what we have. The fear of not having enough, it, it, it doesn't just have to do with possessions, though. It affects our whole lives. And we say things like, ah, I didn't get enough sleep, or um, I don't have enough time, or I, I didn't get enough recognition or attention, or we probably don't say that, we just feel it. Uh, sometimes people are afraid, I'm not ever going to be good enough, or smart enough, or pretty enough, or successful enough, or important enough. And that fear of not having enough, it, it can lead to feelings of shame and insecurity, anxiety, depression. The fear of not having enough is really powerful. It sounds terrible, doesn't it? It's that fear, that, that not having enough thinking is an awful way to live. No one would ever choose that, would they? 
and we think that we don't choose it. We think that the reason that we think like that, that we get afraid like that, is because it's just reality, that there's just not enough. And I'm not going to have enough. And so we think that that's just how it is. But this psalm begs to differ. David's point, his whole point in the psalm is that there's another way to live. There is an abundant life that's available to anybody who wants it. Let me say that one more time. There is an abundant life that's available to anybody who wants it. That's what this psalm is about. David describes it like this. He, 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 he said, I said he was the greatest king in the history of Israel, and he was a songwriter, and he was also a shepherd when he was a young boy. And so he thinks back, and he thinks, this is what life with God is like. That God takes care of me the way that I took care of the sheep. So he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. I love those images. I love those pictures. I, I don't know if it's because I'm a pastor or just because I like this psalm, but I, like every time I'm driving along like on country roads and I see a farm that has sheep, I just think that's cool. You know, like they're not cows. It's like, oh, sheep. And I just think they're neat. And whenever I see sheep in like a green place like that, I just think that's like, I'm just happy for the sheep. When I think of this metaphor, this is like, if you're a sheep, that's where you should be. Right there. That's a good place. You're in a really good place if you're surrounded by green and you're a sheep. But the metaphor is actually even a little bit better than that because it doesn't just say that it, the sheep is in these green pastures. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. If you know anything about sheep, you probably know this, that sheep don't eat lying down. When sheep eat, they walk around. They graze. They nibble a little bit here. They walk around. They nibble a little bit here. They walk around. They nibble. That's what they do all day long. They just kind of keep walking around, grazing, and eating. That's what sheep do. A sheep that's lying down is not eating. A sheep that's lying down is content. It's had enough to eat, especially if it's lying down in the midst of green pastures. If it's got all that green grass all around it and it's not eating, it's because it's full. And that's a good place to be if you're a sheep. All your needs are met, plus it's all green all around you. That's overflow. That's what that looks like. And the other part, too, he leads me beside quiet waters. That's the same kind of thing. Because a sheep that's led beside quiet waters, that's being led beside quiet waters, is not thirsty. Because a sheep that's thirsty is going to stop and drink at those quiet waters. It's not going to walk along and be, be led. But if it's being led, it's already had enough to drink, and that's why it can be led beside quiet waters. And if it did get thirsty, well, hey, there's plenty right there anyway. It's a picture of how God provides. Not just a little bit, but with abundance, with overflow. That's the kind of life that he provides. Jesus gives a, a similar picture in the New Testament. There's one day when Jesus is out teaching and uh, a crowd follows him, he teaches them, and he teaches them for a really long time. And the disciples start to wonder, okay, it's getting late. And they tell Jesus, you need to send the crowd away so they can go and buy food uh, because it's so late. They need to, to do that. And Jesus looks at them and tells them, 
you give them something to eat. <laughs> the disciples kind of panic at that moment. Uh, we don't have anything to eat, and it would take six months' wages to buy something for all these people. Uh, and Jesus says, okay, well, you bring me what you have. And so the disciples go and they collect five loaves of bread and two fish and bring it to Jesus. And Jesus instructs the disciples to have everybody sit down on the grass. And I, I don't know if this is supposed to be like an intentional like echo of Psalm 23, but I just see the same green grass. And it, it sounds like a, seems like an echo to me. But Jesus has them sit down on the green grass and uh, he takes the loaves and the fish and he gives thanks and then he breaks the loaves and he distributes it to, and has the disciples go and pass out the food to everybody. And they all eat and they're satisfied. And the Bible says that in a, there was women and children in there and on top of all the women and children who were there, there was 5,000 men. So you get a sense of the size of this crowd. But that's not the most amazing part. I think for me that my favorite part of the story is at the end of the story it says there was 12 baskets full of leftovers. 12 baskets full of leftovers. I think about this, the disciples, they're going into this thinking, how are we going to feed all these people? I think that's their problem. And at the end of the story, they realize their problem is, what are we going to do with all these leftovers? It's a picture of what life with God is like. It's a picture of overflow, of life without lack. Now, I want to be clear with you what I'm saying. Because I don't want you to get the wrong idea. I'm not saying that if you become a follower of Jesus that all of a sudden you're going to have an unlimited bank account and have a private jet and be able to do whatever you want. That you're always going to be able to live comfortable and that everything's always going to go well for you because that's not what I'm saying. If we follow Jesus, then we're going to live like him. And Jesus endured the cross and I don't think that was comfortable. He doesn't promise comfort. He actually tells us sometimes we're going to have trouble. One of Jesus' early followers, the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, he got to experience a little bit of what the Christian life was like. And there was times when he got to see amazing things. There's times when uh, he prayed and people were raised from the dead. There's times when he saw people healed. There's times when he prayed when he was in prison and the prison doors opened up and he could walk out. He saw amazing things and God provided for him in amazing ways. But there was also times when people tried to stone him, when they drove him out of cities. There was times when he was shipwrecked and he survived with uh, the clothes on his back, if he even had clothes left on his back at that point. And that Apostle Paul wrote, he said, I've learned the secret of being content in all circumstances, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the context of that verse. Paul wasn't saying, I know the secret of being uh, crazy wealthy. He, he didn't say, I, I know the secret of accumulating a lot of possessions. That's not what he said. He said, I know the secret of being content. 
What was the secret of being content? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do well-fed or hungry. I can do plenty or want. If I've got him, I can do whatever because he is enough. When you have God, you have enough. He will provide. You bring to him your empty cup and he will fill it up. See, God cannot be contained in your cup. He can't be contained by your life. When you have him, you have more than enough. This is the first picture. The Lord will provide. That's what it looks like. That's what a life with God looks like. I told you there's another. He will restore. David says it like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. I love that line. I think that's one of my, I have a lot of favorite verses in the scriptures, but as I think about this psalm, I just love that line. It's poetic. It's beautiful. He restores my soul. It's simple. It's to the point. It's just, this is what he does. What does that mean? What does that look like? When my family goes on vacation, we, we, I don't know if, we just have this kind of family ritual that if we're in a hotel somewhere, we end up, we watch HGTV together. That's kind of our thing. And there's all kinds of shows on HGTV, but one of our favorites is, uh, well, it's, it's the one, any show where they uh, take an old house that's uh, been really beautiful and then has kind of gotten run down and then they fix it up and restore it to its former glory. I love those shows. It, you see a picture of what restoration looks like. Um, it takes skill, it takes effort, it takes work, but they bring that house back to life. They give that house its life back. Uh, I, I have some friends, and maybe you do too, or maybe you do this, uh, who do that with cars. You know, they, they take something that looks like a junker and... Uh, they buy a lot of parts, and they spend a lot of hours in the garage, and they hammer things out, and they paint things, and they fiddle with things, and then they go to back to the 50s and show off their cars, right? They, they take that car, and they give that car its life back. That's what it looks like to restore something. Uh, I saw this, uh, I heard about this documentary called The Innocence of Florence. It talks about a uh, these two women who uh, restore an old painting. Uh, the painting is uh, a Renaissance painting. It's called uh, Madonna and the Innocents by uh, Domenico uh, di Michelino. And uh, it's this beautiful painting, but as they work on it, it, that's got to be one of, it's almost got to be more difficult than painting the picture in the first place because you've got to be so meticulous. It's almost an entirely different skill set. You match the color, you clean it up, you remove what's not the, the picture, you, you bring back the vibrancy, you, you give the painting its life back. That's what it looks like to restore a painting. But David says, he restores my soul. What does that look like? 
well, your soul is you. Like, if, if somebody, uh, you know, people are stranded on a desert island in the movies or something, they send out an SOS, you know, through uh, Morse code. And SOS, you know, that stands for save our souls, right? Well, nobody goes and rescues the people and, and just takes their spirit but leaves their body there, right? They, they, they take the whole person. They save the whole person. So that's what that looks like. He restores my soul. He restores all of you. Your, your body, your mind, your will, your emotions, all of you. That's what it looks like. So, so what does that look like to have your soul restored? I don't know. I look around in this congregation and I, I've seen people. You're, who, Jesus has restored your soul. You know, because of our sin, because of, uh, because of our shame, like we've lost the glory that we were made for. Psalm 8 says, um, what is mankind that you're mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. That's what we're made for. We're made to, to be like that, to be glorious. But we know, in our hearts, we know that that's not the life that we live. We, we've sinned and we don't always look all that glorious. And there's, there's hang-ups and habits, there's problems, there's heartache, there's stuff that's happened in our lives that's tarnished our lives. We don't look like we're supposed to look like. We, we aren't the people that we're supposed to be. But the Bible says the, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, he takes us and he restores us. He gives us our life back. And I've seen that happen here. I've seen it happen with people who have struggled with, with drug abuse and parents have prayed for them for years. And then they do something like Teen Challenge and God gets a hold of their life and they come away from that like full of joy. They, they radiate joy and they become some of the people who are the healthiest, most whole people I've ever seen. And they're us, that some of them are you. And we've seen that and we celebrate that. We're so grateful for that. I've seen God do that with marriages. I've seen marriages that were on the brink of collapse where there was infidelity, there, there was total lack of trust. But God stepped in and he restored your marriage. He, you did a lot of counseling. You, you had lots of conversations. It took a long time. But some of your marriages... They've, they're like the healthiest marriages anywhere in the church because of all that God has done with you. That's what it looks like. Sometimes God restores our emotions. I've experienced that. I remember, like, I don't know, it was maybe 12 years ago or something like that, that there was a time in my life where I just found it really difficult to cry. Like, tears wouldn't come. I'd feel sad. There was something that was going on in me, but I just couldn't... I, I was distant from that so much so that I just, I couldn't cry. And I remember there was one day when God just gave me that gift again and I was able to, to cry. And it might not seem like the biggest deal for you, and it probably isn't, but for me it was a powerful thing. It's just a little picture. Like, sometimes it's not always the big things. Sometimes he restores the little things, and that's just a way that he was restoring emotions in me. And I see him continue to do that. In Philippians, Paul writes, he says, He who began a good work in you will continue it, till the day of Christ Jesus. We'll bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's continuing to work. He's continuing to restore. That's what he does. That's what it looks like. 
And sometimes it's not just with us as individuals. Sometimes God like works in whole cities, in whole communities. And he invites us to join with him in that work of restoration. This is what God does. In fact, I want to tell you a little bit more about that painting I told you about and kind of the backstory of it. Um, in the year 1419, so exactly 600 years ago, in the city of Florence, Italy, there was this huge problem with unwanted babies. Uh, people would have an affair, and then the baby was, nobody wanted that baby, no one wanted to take care of it, and babies would just be abandoned. They were abandoned in the streets, they were abandoned uh, in, uh, out in the wilderness and just left to die. The, the gruesome reality was it was basically infanticide. And this was this huge problem. And the people of Florence, at some point, their consciences were, were stricken and they were like, we got to do something. And a group of people got together and decided they were going to do something. It was the Silk Guild in Florence decided they were going to build an orphanage and, uh, to take care of these babies. And the reason that this painting got painted is because it was the banner for this orphanage. It was called the Institute of the Innocents. And it's still actually in operation today in Florence, Italy. And they still have this painting. And it's, it's basically served as their logo, as their banner. It, it explains to people, this is what we are. This is what we do. We restore these kids. We give them their lives back. They're actually, one of the interesting things, they had a, a revolving door in the orphanage so that people could drop off their babies and bring them there, like anonymously. And they did. And they took care of these babies. They fed them. They clothed them. They brought them into foster homes. And they had a system of foster homes where people said, yep, I will raise these babies like my own. And they did until they were about seven. They get brought back to the school. And some of them got to be educated, the boys, because they weren't quite that progressive as they should have been. But they did that. And they uh, then were adopted or sent to apprentice with families. The girls got to be household servants and, uh, or work in textile industry. And God was working in this community and gave these babies their lives back. I think it's a picture of what it looks like to restore a soul. God does that. And he still does it now. Um, there's a woman in our church, her name is Melinda McDermott, and God put it on her heart a number of years ago to start a nonprofit to take care of young moms with little babies, especially who are at risk of, of homelessness, and to provide a house for them where they could be nurtured and supported and cared for, where people could invest in them so that they could get on their feet with their baby and learn how to, to do life learn how to be productive, and learn how to be a good parent. And so she had this vision, and she's been just walking with this vision for three years. She gathered a board of people. I don't know how you start a nonprofit. I'm not sure she knew how to start a nonprofit, but she just did it. She went and did it, and they got a house. Actually, they were able to, I believe, lease a house for one dollar, and they now have access to that. It was a parsonage uh, at a church in Ham Lake, and uh, they're they're working on renovating the house right now, and they got to put in a big septic tank, so they have expenses and things like that. So they're working on that, and they're planning to open up in October. And I'm saying this because, you know, this happened, this, the, the orphanage thing, that was 600 years ago, but this is today. 
And God still is in the process of restoration. And he invites us to be part of that. Elevate Hope House, they've got a day of prayer uh, set aside August 11th. And it's a Sunday. I hope you'll mark your calendar. You know, sometimes we've done uh, prayer week and we'll we'll do some more here. But they're going to do theirs August 11th. And it's going to look a lot like when we've done prayer weeks here. A chance for you to come uh, and go and actually go to Elevate Hope House, see the house, be in it, and pray for what's going to be in, happening there. And I want to encourage you to, to go check out the Elevate Hope House website. Just Google Elevate Hope House. You'll find it. And uh, sign up and be part of that, that day of prayer and find out what this is all about and get involved. See, this is what it looks like. I told you that one of the biggest things I think that we need is to have pictures in our minds of how good life with God really is. And I think that's what Psalm 23 is all about. It's about giving us these pictures. Like, this is what the life of overflow is like. It's like, it's like a sheep with a shepherd, lying down in green pastures, being led beside quiet waters. It's, it's like, It's like worrying that you don't have enough and then finding out that your real problem is what am I going to do with all these leftovers? The overflow life, it looks like, uh, it looks kind of like a house being restored or a car being restored or a painting being restored. But it's really a soul being restored. It's a person who's being given their life back. That's what God does. That's what he does for us. And that's what we get to join him in doing for others as well. And that's what we're going to talk about these next few weeks. Life with God is life without lack. It's a life of overflow. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for this psalm. I'm so grateful for what you do in our lives, to show us your goodness. See, even right now, I just start to think about, like, what's coming to my mind is, God, the things that I'm grateful for and how you've been good. You've been so good. Even in times of difficulty and trial, even when problems are big, God, I know that you're with me and you are enough. You are with us and you are enough. Thank you for the ways that you provide over and over and over again. How you give daily bread. You give us exactly what we need. You take care of us. God, like little kids with their parents, we don't have to worry because we know that we're with you. Just thank you for that. Thank you for how you restore. You've taken our brokenness and make beautiful things out of us, God. Keep doing it. You promise that you're gonna that you're gonna keep working on us. That the work that you started that you're gonna bring to completion. And we're grateful for that. So we thank you. Stirring up us stir up in us faith, God, to trust, to see your goodness to trust that you are enough for us in every situation. We ask these things in Jesus' name.
And all God's people said, amen. Hey, the, the prayer team is going to be with you after the message here to be able to pray with you. I encourage you to do that. Um, if you've got big needs or even little needs or Thanksgiving, just come and pray with somebody. It's such a good thing to do. Uh, why don't you stand up right now? Let me give you a blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All right, thanks for watching. Want to let you know about two things you can do. First, follow us on Vimeo or iTunes so you don't miss a single message. Better yet, join us in person Saturdays at 5 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11. And second, if you're feeling this ministry and want to help advance the mission of helping people become who God purposed them to be, you can click the link to give. Your generosity brings hope, healing, and radical transformation to people all over the world. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.